0: Fair. I just said the Hamburg Fair because it drives me crazy with all of the driving I do in Hamburg, and there's always traffic everywhere. Oh, never mind. Hi, it's Pete Pomisano here with another edition of RLTP's Off-Road. And this is kind of a special edition today because we are continuing our historic showplaces with the Lancaster Opera House. But first, we are going to speak to a young man named Pete Johnson. And Pete has just been appointed the director of a new program at RLTP called the Bridge Program. And I will tell you that it's offering great opportunities for people to do paid internships with RLTP, where they will learn from the inside out how to get into this business of ours. And this fits perfectly because the Lancaster Opera House interview uh, with David Bondro was actually shorter than usual because I know the place so well that I just took myself around on a tour and took pictures on my own and poor David didn't have to follow me around describing stuff because I kind of knew where everything was. So it's a little bit shorter, but that leaves plenty of time for Pete Johnson to talk about the Bridges program. So without further ado, let's talk to Mr. Peter Johnson, the director of the Bridge program, starting up in September... At RLTP. But I really want to know, from your words, describe what the
1: Bridge Program is. So the Bridge Program is a 16-week paid internship opportunity, primarily for early artists of color. And it's an opportunity for them to be able to get into the arts industry to be able to develop a career path, you know, if they've never done that before, if they've never been involved in the arts and the theater, and to be compensated while learning these skills to be able to grow, you know, and, and create a career for themselves.
0: Let me ask you, when you say early artists, are we talking about postgraduate college, or are we talking about even younger, or are we talking about guys my age, <laughs> early in age or early in experience? That's, that's the question.
1: I think that that's it. early in experience is the, is, is the way we phrase it. However, there is an age requirement. You have to at least be 18 years of age, only because what we're looking at is, is we want all the artists to actually be serious and committed to it. Mm-hmm. So it can be any person. You don't have to be in school or anything of that sort. You know, the only minimum requirement that we have to be is 18 years of age, but these are for uh, artists that are in early stages in development of their career.
0: I see. Early stages of the development could be still in college, but not with a lot of experience. It could be somebody who
1: just wants to get their foot in the door, shall we say? Absolutely. You, you know, it was very important to me that we not only just have this program for college students, but it's for anyone in the community, right? Mm-hmm. I get asked all the time, just as an African-American artist in my community, how do I get started? Yeah. How do I get into the door? And, you know, I... I I do have some education to go along with this. I've been studying as an actor, as a producer, and I've been, you know, I'm trained for that. I have a master's degree. But what about those who have that same interest that maybe hasn't gone to school? Mm -hmm. So we wanted to make that, you know, available for everyone. As long as you're serious, then this program can be for you. This industry is highly based on referrals. It's someone that, that knows someone that knows someone that can do the job. And what happens is, is that when you're referred, it's a double-edged sword. So you can't let the person that referred you down, and then you want to do a good job, so you're referred again in the future, you know. But you mm. got to start somewhere, right? And that's what the bridge program is doing. It's opening the doors to learn the job, a to get the skill set and the and the knowledge that you need. But then also the second portion of it is a tool of networking it's to get you in the door and then also one of the things that we have is that we have a networking event designed once people complete that program Mm -hmm. so we we call in a lot of the artistic directors we call in stage managers people it's an industry mixer party for these people that are completing that program so to help get their name out there to help get their face out there so if this is something that they want they're already in the mix of the crowd of people that can help.
0: So they're starting to make connections, they're starting to do that networking thing, and you're gonna provide that, that atmosphere, that situation, almost like a cocktail party sort of thing, where you, they're rubbing elbows with all sorts of people who somewhere down the line might be a, of some value. So they'll have a, a leg up on things. So it's an internship program and what is your deadline when are you starting to take applications for this or is that not how it's working
1: so applications actually open we're in we're in the early phases of promotion we just rolled it out and the way this works is that we are looking for actual intern applicants to begin in january of 2023 we have three shows in mind that we're looking for applicants and mentors to be able to to, to mentor these mentees over the course of three shows. That's why we're we're saying, hey, it's 16 weeks. So we're in the process of promoting applications actually open this fall. I'm going to be visiting colleges, Buff State, Damon, UB, Niagara. We're also gonna be doing kind of like a community outreach as well. And applications will actually open uh, September 1st. Okay. This coming fall. Uh, we're going through the selection process for all the applicants. Uh, we're hoping to have all the applicants selected by November, by before Thanksgiving. Now, how many
0: applicants are you expecting, or are you hoping to fill out the program? Are we talking about half a dozen, or or just two or three?
1: Well, this is where Scott Barrett and I come out of impasse. Right? <laughs> Because ideally, because this is our first time rolling the program out, for the first year, we're expecting at least five to maybe seven applicants, you know, at, at max. For people that actually complete the program, I would say once we are running at peak capacity, we're probably looking to accept maybe 10 to 15. Wow. Also, one of the things is that it, we, we because this is a, a very uh, exclusive program, I want the most serious candidates and the best of the best right so it's very unlikely that we would choose 15 people only because especially when you have that many people it's harder for for people to learn to get that one-on-one so i I, again you know right now we're looking at at least five to seven people to start maybe 10 at, at, at max i see now
0: when you talk about the qualifications what are the qualifications, are, and are you the man, is it going to be you and Scott sit down with a few applications and say, this person looks like a, a really sincere applicant, this person looks like you know he really couldn't fit the time in, and then we'll get into it in a second because I, I want to know what the time commitment is, but how are the decisions going to be made about who's going to be in and who's not?
1: well ultimately once they submit the application i review the applications as the director of the program and then i schedule also interviews mm. right so we'll have you know personal interviews with each of the applicants to kind of find out what their area of interest is again what their commitment level will be if they have any experience to date and things of that sort we've also partnered with raesis you know uh victoria perez yep. uh, she is very integral and wants her hand in that pot as well to be able to have some influence and some say so on that. So mm-hmm. we've given her that opportunity to be able to be a part of the selection board, as we call it, to be able to interview the applicants and, and see where people fit the best, you know, and, and which candidates are gonna be selected.
0: Uh, you're not just talking about people who are interested in acting. We're talking about people who are interested in any aspect of theater or film or performance or the arts. How, correct me if I'm wrong.
1: Being, you know, being in the industry, you know, and I teach this to a lot of the students is that theater is a collaborative effort, right? So when you have just your actor, that actor can't perform well unless he has a great lighting designer. That lighting designer is only, you know, that person, but, you know, but that's also due to the stage manager and then the costume designer and things of that sort. So because theater is such a collaborative effort, absolutely, this is going to be all aspects of theater and art and design. Um, even down to script writing, if that's what you're looking to do, hmm. you know, writing, directing, design, there could be some architects. So we, we, may, we may have people to do set design. One of the things as well is that a lot of people in general, and I'm not just going to say youth, they don't know how many jobs the arts industry provides. Right. We just get the stigma that, oh, if I'm not an actor, I can't work in the theater industry or I can't mm-hmm. work in the film mm-hmm. industry. And again, that's just not true because, you know, this industry provides so many different lucrative jobs and that's what we want to do. So it's it's not just limited to acting. It's all aspects of theater from building sets, you know, again, from lighting design to costume design, any type of script supervisor, stage management, all of the above. Those are the the, the people. If you have interest in those areas, those are the, the, the positions that we're looking to help fill. Now, Pete, do you
0: foresee this being like a classroom sort of setting or a meeting sort of session or what will what will the program consist of in terms of learning opportunities? Will there be like classroom sort of sessions? Will they be learning strictly by working backstage at three shows? Will they be talking to John Rickus about lighting and Katie Menke about sound? Will there be people coming in to sort of instruct them or are they just going to be learning by hands on?
1: More so, the classroom setting is something that we, we definitely want to stay away from. So everything is going to be hands-on. Okay. You will work one-on-one with your mentor. You do have meetings that you will have to be required to be at the theater. But essentially, that mentor will walk these mentees through their entire job step-by-step. Mm. It's not going to be on a basis where, again, we don't expect all of the, the mentees to devote the same amount of time as the mentors. However, that process has to be explained, and they have to understand what they're doing. So a lot of it is going to just be more hands-on. It's not going to be any books, any things of that sort. They are going to get their learning directly from the person that we assign them, and it's going to be doing the job. Right. One-on-one. That makes
0: perfect sense. I, I mean, honestly, that's the way I learned everything. Yeah. Everything in theater, I Brian Kavanaugh was up on a ladder and I would say, why are you doing that? And right. somebody else was doing that. Why are you hooking the speakers up that way? That's the best way to learn. I absolutely agree with you. What do you imagine the time commitment will be for this? Is it strictly revolving around those three shows, the 16 weeks that you referred to before? And when the shows are in construction and tech and design phases, that they're involved in that, you don't have a set every Tuesday night or something like that.
1: Well, it, it could be that. Right. So like the, the beauty of this program is that we are we have the ability to kind of custom built, you know, custom make this program. And as long as the mentors are flexible with the mentees, this can be custom built towards your schedule. There will be some some main requirements. So the mentees will have to participate in the load in days. You know, when we take this, when we strike in a set load out days they will be required to do some ushering and that'll be on a rotation maybe they maybe they will work in the box office as well but for the majority of it during that time they're going to be required to at least meet one to two times a week in person with that mentor and whether that's at a rehearsal that is going to be for a tech design you know you I mean we you know as actors you know tech tech days are I mean that's <laughs> that's a 12hour day right you yeah, know oh, so yeah it's gonna be a, a custom built schedule. However, there will be some main requirements for them to be there of things that they have to participate in. But primarily as long as they're meeting with their mentor at least twice a week, they'll be we fine. I know that this is all sort
0: of nebulous right now because it's the first year for this. And and you're gonna design and you're going to probably make adjustments in the future. But will it will a recruit be able to come in and say, Mr. Johnson, I'm really most interested in lighting design, let's say, or I'm really most interested in something else, or are you going to try to just give them a whole full rounded picture of everything? And then maybe somewhere down the line, they will, you know, make a choice.
1: It's difficult for everyone to, you know, for a person to learn the entire process, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. even in 16 weeks, right? Like we've been doing this for years. Mm -hmm. You don't learn the entire process. My, my goal is to have each, Student come in, or each each mentee come in, uh, and give them some type of specialization, something that you know to find out what their area of interest is, and then build off of that. I see. It's not going to be you know just oh I'm going to learn with this person this week and this person this week, because then what happens is you get a lot of information, but you didn't learn you know you didn't learn enough about one specific area. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're trying to do. Is this is going to be more of a specialty thing? And, you know, that's going to be my job as the director to kind of pick their brains and find out what area interests them most. What is their career path? What's their, you know, to be able to give them an opportunity to work with someone that's in that field already to be able to help them with that job versus saying, oh, well, I went to the bridge program and I learned a little bit about everything. That's not going to help them find work. You know, what's going to help them find work is more so saying, oh, I worked with lighting design with John Ricketts for 16 weeks. and then. You know, John's saying, Oh, well, guess what? I can vouch for this person as well, because it's gonna take that mentor or that person referring and being able to say, Hey, I gave this person all the knowledge I could, and I trust them, you know, to be able to to, to carry out a job on their mm-hmm. own. So it's it's more of a of a specialization. That's what we're looking Okay.
0: For. You're really gonna try to help right. a recruit, an intern, you're gonna help them try to focus on something that is a, a specific interest, even if it's even if they're not sure of it at the beginning. Right. Uh, they may develop a certain interest along the way. And now, is that your title, by the way? You are the
1: director of the program? I am, yes. I'm the director of the program. And, and yes, and that's that's a big part of my job. It's it's assessing what their their interests are, where their needs lie, You know, who's going to mess with their personality, who's going to mess with their schedule. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. That's a part of my discernment to be able to take these students and find out, pinpoint their focus and then kind of match them with someone that I think would best be able to help them. All right, well, let's talk for a second about the, you say it's a paid
0: internship. Does that mean that there is a, a stipend that is granted for the entire 16 weeks, or are the people paid per gig, per per show, or whatever?
1: It'll be, that person will be on payroll, essentially, okay. to be able to get their stipend. And one of the things is that when you are, it was important to me because learning you're giving your time, you're volunteering your time. But what happens when you have other commitments, you have a family, you have children, you have bills and things of that sort. So in order for the program to be successful, each of the mentors and the mentees need to be compensated. Sure. So that was something sure. that we had to go out and seek funding for. So in that instance, yes, you know they will be compensated on a a payroll basis, whether that's once a a month or once a week, that's something that the administrative department will find out what's best. But also we realize that even, you know, everyone has different situations. So we're also offering, even for a college student, maybe they don't have transportation Mm -hmm. or something like that to commit. So we're also offering gas stipends to be able for them to take Ubers or maybe a bus pass, whatever's going to be able to fit their situation to help make them successful. It's not just on a, you know, a thing where we're just, Telling them, hey, this is a job. Get here. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we got to be understanding to everyone's situation and say, hey, well, if you know, if you need this, we have gas stipends, we have bus passes.
0: You know, this is also available for them. That's a great thing. When I read that about the transportation stipend, I think that yeah. that's going to be extremely important. You mentioned that the, you had to go find funding. Is there a sponsor of this? Is there a, or is it just road less traveled? This
1: program was two. Well, I would say almost three years in the making. Wow. And what Scott and I did was we sat down and because we understood the importance of the funding aspect of the program. So yeah, we went out and we sought sponsors and things of that sort. And we do have a multi-year commitment from the Oshai Foundation. Oh, great. You know, a multi-year commitment. So, you know, this is not something that we feel is going to be a fly-by-night thing. They funded us for multiple years, as well as, uh, you know, we we also got some other sponsors, but Oshai was definitely one of the primary ones. So, you know, we definitely want to say, you know, special thanks to to them and, and also the other organizations, you know, Mm -hmm. it was a few other organizations that gave us some money as well.
0: Are the mentors all RLTP people, or might there be mentors from other other theaters in town or oh absolutely.
1: Yeah. Again, this is you know it's it's not something that is exclusive, you know, to Roadless Travel Productions. No, we are looking for other mentors, you know, as well. I think that sometimes it makes it easier when we do have roadless Travel members only because they're working in-house mm-hmm. as a part of those three shows, right? But it could be a basis where an artist is working at another theater, that we do a collaboration and we have that student, you know, working with another artist at another theater as well. But for the most part right now, we don't want to keep it, say it's 100% exclusive to RLTP. Uh, we're open-minded to that, but as long as it, as it makes sense, then yes, we're looking for mentors of all caliber and and of all colors absolutely absolutely it's not just because the program is designed
0: for the black indigenous people of color and so on y- your mentors could could be anybody whoever whoever can help right? whoever can help
1: that's yeah. the point it's it's we're bridging that gap I sometimes see. that may help you know with the connection but that's not something that that is you know limited we're not we're not doing that it's it's whoever is knowledgeable whoever is willing to provide the time the effort and the energy and i think that for the students, it shouldn't matter who's providing the information. Sure. This is this is the information that you need in order to be successful. So it, that's not something that we even uh, are looking at for the for the mentors. Absolutely
0: oh. not. It, it certainly would be nice that they had some role models to look up to yeah. that were of the same you know the same color or the same nationality, for example. Mm-hmm. But that's that's not a requirement. At the end of the sixteen weeks, what do you foresee the intern having? In his hand, I don't mean physically, but yeah.
1: I mean what what will he hear? What will he have earned? Well, so there's there's two parts to that. The first part is if the mentee is in school, let's say they're enrolled in one of the local colleges here, mm-hmm. uh, the potential they have the potential to earn college credit. So I have written a syllabus for it. You know, right now it, it kind of differs based upon uh, the financial, I mean the educational institution. If the student comes in, they can a get educational credit for it. B the next step is also, as a part of the the completion of the program, you know, we will have like certificates of completion and things Mm -hmm. of that sort, but also they will, you know, have their whatever show that they participate in, just like any of the artists that work on that show, guess what? They get their name, credit in the playbill, you know, as a part of that, because that's something that, hey, every artist that work on that production should be credited that way, right? Mm -hmm. So of course they get their name, you know, published in the playbill. Not only that, we do have... Again, it, it functions afterwards. So we will have that networking event, you know, for them to participate in. We're also I'm, I'm scheduling a session where we're also going to provide them with resume writing, mm. you know, because that's also something that hey, you know, when you're when you're applying for jobs, you have to know the proper format. You got to know how your resume should look. And sure. even maybe if they've never done that, right? So now they're also coming out of this with certificates. They're coming out with play bills, They're coming out with college credit and also a resume to help build and help their career go forward.
0: And all of that is secondary to the actual hands-on experience that they're going to hopefully through the three shows that they are going to be interning on or, or be working on. They will have seen almost every aspect of what a professional production
1: goes through before the lights
0: come up and the people see the finished product.
1: The experience is, is the key, right? Yeah. So like that's the that's the main tool that they're leaving with, the experience and the knowledge that they didn't have before, right? That they didn't have prior to entering the program. And again, it's it's more so this business is a lot of word of mouth. So we're hoping, you know, and we can't, that's not something that we can guarantee with other theaters, but we're hoping that gaining this experience will also open doors for them to work at other theaters as well.
0: That's great. Well, Pete, it just sounds like a great program. I, I'm really, I'm really excited to see how it goes. But I really wanted to do something to promote it over the next two or three podcasts, just to get the wor- word out there.
1: I, you know, I, I tell people all the time, for me, if I can have the opportunity to to spread this, the word about this program, and even if one person gains knowledge and a higher insight of the program and of what we're trying to do, then we're doing our job.
0: You're doing the most important job any teacher could do, and that is pass on the information to someone who can then run with it and, and probably pass it on to someone else. Yeah. Thanks for everything. Okay. I'll be in touch. Let me know if I can help you out in any way. Thank you, Pete. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Pete Johnson, and you'll hear more about the Bridge program as the weeks go by, since the deadline is in September for getting applications in. So it's coming up on us pretty quick. And there's the clock ticking and the music to introduce our segment. Historic Showplace Theaters in the Western New York area. This week, featuring the Lancaster Opera House, where I and my troupe, performed for many, many years, so I kind of knew a little bit about it, but the history was still fascinating. And I wanted to remind you that there are pictures available on my personal Pinterest page. There's a link attached to the description of this uh, podcast. So check it out if you are of a mind to see the pictures I took of the opera house and all the things we talk about. Maybe you'd like to see what they look like. Here's David Bondro to tell you all about it here on RLTPS Off Road. Anyway, David Bondro. How are you doing, David? Good. Good, Good to see, see you. So, I you know what I was thinking the other day. You know, you're a young guy. You haven't been around here. I don't know how much of the history you know or have researched or have studied up on. Uh, I imagine that before you even took this gig, back when there were the two. Two Davids or whatever it was at that one time. You probably did some research into the history. So what can you tell me about the history of this
2: magnificent building? I've learned a lot about the Opera House since I've been here. Really? So the building was built in 1894, started, It was finished in 1896, and it did have burlesque and vaudeville touring shows in it. Oh, okay. It was called the Opera House because they didn't want to be associated necessarily with burlesque shows coming right into the town hall of Lancaster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what else I I discovered when I did the, the History
0: of Buffalo Theater last year? Somewhere in the history, it talked about how after Lincoln was shot in a theater, the word theater itself became almost taboo. So a lot of places were changing their names to music hall, auditorium, opera house. Now, I'm not saying that that's what happened here. They may have designed and built it saying... Let's call it an opera house when it really, probably, rarely had
2: legit opera. Right. That, to my knowledge, there was very little opera, but as you could hear, if you could hear those bells ringing, it's still, yeah, it's still the functioning, uh, it's still the functioning town hall. There were weddings and commencement ceremonies, and we still, we still hold um, with all of the new economic development going on. We held a lot of the public hearings for it. So, Mm -hmm. did you know if they originally intended it to be? An
0: all-in-one building, or did they start out saying, let's build a town hall, and then
2: they decided, let's also have a, a meeting place with it, or, or was it all intended? It was all intended. That that was a, a a trend at the turn of the previous century. Like, the Fredonia Opera House was the same thing. It was the town hall, and then the, the meeting place, and a place for entertainment. And you're far about enough
0: it. away from Buffalo to... Back in those days, which yeah. was you know, the Buffalo wasn't a huge metropolis then, but it was growing. It was far enough to, away for what people in the in the suburbs would say. We want our own place of entertainment. Absolutely. And so, all right. So vaudeville acts and burlesque acts, and, and that's so where
2: that's uh, where the two the two ghosts of the opera house uh, that have become legendary. The One just ringing the bell. Uh, one, the one ringing the bell uh, fell from the bell tower and had a problem, and the other one was Priscilla, Priscilla. who was on stage entertaining and one of the reasons why you can't whistle in a theater they had sailors that were uh, whistling in, whistling picture. whistling at the wrong time <laughs> and uh, got a call to bring in a piece of scenery and <gasps> brought it down right on her head oh my so she was entertaining
0: partially dressed and the sailors were whistling and it brought wow. and brought in
2: brought in the scenery at the wrong time and struck her yikes i've never seen i don't seen, blame her for never leaving <laughs> i've never seen either of the two ghosts yeah. but I have definitely heard some odd things, Odds and, th- odd and things. <laughs> um, prior to COVID, we used to host a lot of paranormal societies that would come in for lock-ins overnight, yeah. and I, I've seen and heard some weird things, but did, never did specifically. Did they all say that they, oh yeah, we heard that they, they claimed, uh, one claimed to have communicated with Priscilla, Really. but I, I was not here for that, so I cannot attest to it, <laughs> um, but there are definitely uh, definitely some vibes okay so that, so that was the original intention was it, was to make it
0: into a not not a not a burlesque house necessarily, but a, no. a place of entertainment yep. and, you know a place for the town to to gather to gather and have some fun meeting houses yep. as well, probably had uh, public meetings upstairs yep. as well for for the government offices mm-hmm. downstairs so at some point did it lose favor or did it how did it because I know i mean I was around and I heard about and was there a point when it sort of fell into disrepair mm-hmm. or, or mi- disuse?
2: The original, the original theater was completely gaslit. There were sconces, mm-hmm. there were the footlights, yes. everything was gaslit, and there was a trend that this was very dangerous, and a lot of, a lot of the gaslit theaters burnt down across the country. Sure. So they converted it to electricity, and then by the Depression, it just as the vaudeville tours stopped and things stopped, it stopped being used for that. Mm. It was used as a soup kitchen during the Depression. Hmm. And then during World War II, the theater was cleared out, and it was used to fold parachutes uh, and send out. For the war? For was, the war. Yeah. And then a giant map of the area was hung from the stage. During the 50s and 60s, a giant map of the area was hung on the stage. Of the, of the Lancaster Of the area? Lancaster Opera House, yep, in the Lancaster area. Mm-hmm. And it was used as a civil defense planning during the Cold War. Huh. And then by the 70s, it had pretty much become a storage area. Oh. And then they formed And there was a no
0: entertainment at all? It,
2: After the initial vaudeville touring stuff stopped, it was not used for entertainment really, at all. Not even, because some of the places, of course, were old movie houses. This was never used as a movie house. No. Nope. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. Then as part of the bicentennial in 76, mm-hmm. a group of village leaders and town leadership decided it's time to bring it back mm. and you can see in the back hallway the pictures they gutted everything down to the studs and redid all the plaster and found uh, pieces of wood from parts of the building that had been torn down and they they filled in all the little spindles in the in the balcony and all over and restored it completely fall of 1980 was the first season and uh, so now we're celebrating our 41st season of being back in business. Wow. Well, the people who decided maybe it was time to come back, mm-hmm. was that simply out of,
0: because I remember uh, 1976 when there was a great great patriotic fervor yes. and, and a renewal of the past and history and so on. So you think that's just what it was? That it was, they had this gem that was sitting here unused? Or did did they in some way have well, visions of
2: sugar plums in their head? I've just recently become more familiar with another big piece of Lancaster history that I think may have played a part in this. Hmm. It was either in the late 50s or the early 60s, but most of Main Street was destroyed in a fire. And then as part of the urban renewal in the 70s, they built like a mall complex and they ended up renting it out to Boese's as a warehouse Mm -hmm. and now there's a -a Save-A-Lot supermarket and it became sort of a blight to them. Mm. So I, it's my hypothesis that they wanted to restore the former you know, beauty of the whole village. Mm. And I think it started here at the Opera House that they wanted that catalyst to be put in place. And now we're seeing they recently cut the uh, developer, mm-hmm. uh, Tom Sweeney, bought that big development, has started to tear it down piece by piece. They recut Main Street, and he's now putting in walkable retail with apartments and Airbnb. Is that right down the street? Right as you directly of, out. The, the one yes. that the New York store is on. Correct. So now you have Central and West Main. Yeah, because I look down that way.
0: Because I, when I came here today, I came via transit. I usually come down Aurora. But, but I said, you know, I want to go see what's happening down transit. Because yeah. really, literally, well, no one's been anywhere in two years. But I haven't been out this way since I probably came to see Anthony and uh, Jekyll and Hyde. So that was, what, five years ago? Yeah. Six, maybe? So I thought, uh, see how things have changed, you know, and, and, and go down there. And of course, as you well know, Transit Road is like, it's it's developed, let's, yes. let's just say. Yeah, there's a lot of retail there. But when I got down here, everything looked kind of the same until I made the turn by the New York store, and I looked to my left. It, usually, it used to be like a dead end there, yep. or like, you know, and it just goes right straight through now, all the way over to
2: whatever that street
0: Aurora, Pleasant. Okay. okay. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Of course, it would be yeah.
2: Aurora. Aurora. Uh, all
0: right. So, so there's, there's, but, all yeah, but now stuff.
2: there's a resurgence of the area. Mm-hmm. There's there's now a new jeweler that's gone in. There's a new bakery coming in. There's a new wine bar that's come in. the The metery There's a metery on West Main Street and. August eighth is National Mead Day. So we turned it into a Renaissance fair. So, you know, throwing axes and drinking mead <laughs> in in the middle of Lancaster. Well, isn't correct me if I'm wrong here, but isn't
0: Lancaster one of the fastest growing populations in Western New York? Or, yes. Or it has been over the past yes, several it still years. Is. It yeah. still is, yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to go back to the history again sure. just for a second. So when when they talked about renewing the building and restoring it, were they focusing directly on the opera house or were they saying re- let's restore the building itself as a first of all a public government offices and the exterior which is a solid brick exterior were they saying let's restore the building or were they w- was the opera house the the entertainment space was that i don't want to say an afterthought but was that just sort of thrown in or were they just focused on the opera house
2: Two different entities at the same time. Okay. There there was a committee formed that eventually became Lancaster, New York Opera House, Inc., the, the nonprofit that now runs the theater. It had always been and still is the town hall, but uh, they had moved. This is what I always joke, because when you come to the Opera House, the... The restrooms are in the basement. Yes, they are. And I have to tell people that those were the old city jails. <laughs> the building was built in 1890s. There were no restrooms oh, in man. the building. So when the jails and the and the court system moved out to Pavement Road, mm-hmm. the the town, the, the first floor of the town building got remodeled. Uh, but the focus was to restore the Opera House for public. It had not been open to the public prior to uh, it, the 80s.
0: It was. So when it was chosen for restoration... It was in disrepair, it, it, but it was not in any danger of the building was never in any danger of being demolished no. or,
2: or torn down. right Nope, it, had, it just was it had gone unused and became basically a giant storage unit mm-hmm. for the, for the town. Mm-hmm. And they decided that they needed to bring people back up here and uh, to enjoy.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about the programming here. When they first started it there, once the place was, if not complete, the nearing completion,
2: they must have someone on the board must have said, okay, now what are we going to do for programming? And, and yes, they contacted a bunch of different groups in the area. I know on opening night they did like a vaudeville show, mm-hmm. and a shout out to uh, Anne Moot, who with her husband, of course, uh, were yes. big benefactors of Studio Arena. She played piano on opening night. Here. Is that <laughs> yes. right? What a lovely lady she was. Yeah, talking to her. I was under
0: the impression at the beginning that part of the deal was, and cor- correct me if I'm wrong, please, was the Lancaster players, or whatever they were called at the time, uh, Lancaster Depew maybe, or something like that, that they were in on the initial programming or had
2: some kind of a deal. To my knowledge, that from everything I saw, the the original lease with the Opera House was that the Lancaster New York Opera House, Inc., the, the non-profit... Mm-hmm was set to maintain the building and and bring in all kinds of programming. Mm-hmm.
0: But I guess my question is, when they first started the, the restoration, did they have their mind on bringing in outside community groups at that point.
2: Yes. They did. Yes. And and so the, it was... I know some of the original groups were like the Queens Players, which was Jerry Forey's group, and he mm. he ran it out of Williamsville, and he brought some stuff here. Okay. And then the Lancaster-Depew Community Players, which was at the Bowman... Uh, see, I don't even... I don't remember all that. That <laughs> part a, of the history, I can't remember. No, that, that's all right. You, that was before you were alive, I think. It was right around when I was alive. I was born in 81. Sure. So by the end of the first season... so <laughs> So now it uh, you beat me by thirty years. Can... Uh, all right. Sorry. So
0: anyway, did, did somebody on the board? Did somebody actually take over as as sort of a, a
2: leadership role to make these contacts? Did... The the board the board originally there is there is a history of executive directors. They hired right from the beginning an executive director to program the theater and to help market the theater mm-hmm. right from the start. And right from the start,
0: it was a presenting house. Correct. It was they were just. They were offering the space mm-hmm. and whatever financial arrangements they made, probably different with everybody, but they were offering the space and it was used by right. local groups, uh, mm-hmm. mostly community type
2: yep. players and so on. Was there any emphasis on music in those days? Oh, yeah, there were there were, there were a lot of different, um, especially like around Mozart's birthday, there was a tradition of bringing in uh, some BPO players would give concerts here. There was a huge history, and and, and not quite opera, but there definitely, Operetta was huge at the start of the reopening. They they had a bunch of groups that did Operetta.
0: Really? Now, it, it seems to me like that's a, that's a big job for anybody to program this place, let's say, eight months a year, maybe nine,
2: maybe even over the summer. I don't know. They, but... they didn't program it too much in the summer mm-hmm. until they put air conditioning in. Oh, I remember that. And ironically... That is our new capital campaign. The system is now you know leaking free on, and it's it oh, it dear. is not it is uh, not right for the current climate. <laughs> so uh, we are we are engaged in a, a capital campaign to raise funds.
0: Were you here when the first air conditioning was? because, of course, my group goes way back. Yeah. and we sweated through many, many weeks here. But we were told at the time that because it had historic designation, that there was no way to put air conditioning in because that didn't fit with the historical nature of the building. Now that may be total BS, but that's, we were told, that's why they would never could never put air conditioning in. And then somehow that changed and, and we all celebrated, but somehow that changed and they put in the air conditioning
2: I'm going to say 25 years ago, maybe? The research I could find is that the town has been very generous to the Opera House. Mm-hmm. The town leases the space to the Opera House Inc. to, to run the theater. And um, if, the, if the Opera House turns a profit uh, on earned income alone, on ticket sales, yes. then a percentage goes back to the town. Okay. But otherwise, it's been, it, is, it is rent-free, basically. Okay. However, the Opera House has traditionally been and is currently still responsible for the HVAC system. Oh. So the town, the town does not pay for or control the HVAC. So the Opera House was responsible to raise money. Mm. So perhaps, perhaps back in the day, you were told that it couldn't be put in because it couldn't be afforded, Maybe. but it was a huge capital campaign. And they, from what I remember, they actually had to take the roof off. And put this giant air conditioning system mm-hmm. into the theater. Yes. Well, the town that currently the town has a beautiful new tin roof, uh, or an, uh, not not exactly tin, but a metal roof that apparently is going to last a long time. I see. So we have been uh, we have been getting quotes for a modular system mm-hmm. that. Can be brought up piece by piece oh, and put in, so beautiful. nothing is disturbed. Oh, that's great! Yeah, so that's it's a uh, it's it's a process, and I'll, I could take you and show you a picture up there. It's kind of fun. Who's your employer? Is it the Opera House? And t- tell me what sure. it's called. The, the Lancaster, New York Opera House Inc. is Inc. the organization. It's, and, a, and it's a it's a, the 501c3 nonprofit. And uh, it's a board. That, it is there's are, it is a board of boss? directors. Yes, they So the, the board hired me back in. December of two thousand and nine. so I've been here for a little while. Yeah. Um, and it, it was right after the economic crash, yeah. and the the opera house was real it was in danger of closing. And I remember they said to me, they said, uh, you know we need we need a new vision because it it's it's gone in so many different directions. Mm-hmm. And that's when I decided to start the in-house company and and lead by example. So when you got here, For X
0: number of years, it had been a presenting house, and for those who don't know, that means that you don't produce anything here. Things are brought in, uh, and they were a a variety of types of entertainment, concerts, tribute bands, community theater groups, small professional groups. I know uh, the Eileen Dugan and her group were here at one time, and uh, many Any, people, I don't want to start. I look at the
2: list. because Everybody forget. in Buffalo Theater has been out I've here. been here, I'm sure. sure. Yes. The O'Neills were here back way back in the day. Yep. Randy Kramer and Mary Kate O'Connell used to do shows together here at the sure. Opera House. The Opera House has been a wonderful stopping point for. All of the Buffalo Theater. Well, it's, it's because it's a gorgeous, beautiful yeah. venue and it was
0: available for, for people like Randy before he had a theater or Mary-Kate mm-hmm. before she had one of several theaters and for the O'Neills who had nothing but a basement, you know, at the Airways Hotel or whatever it was. So that's the kind of thing that was offered. That's what a presenting house does. It Very
2: similar to what Chase is doing now with the Smith and with 710. Exactly. So exactly. It, it, it was a almost like a co-production agreement. We would provide the lighting and sound for musicals, and then all of the front of house and the advertising. And then there was a percentage of ticket sales or whatever. Yes. It was, it was different for
0: everybody, and I'm sure it was different for each of the musical acts, the musical performers, the, the
2: bands that came in for a good long time. And you still do that to some degree, right? We still we 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 now do a main stage series, and then we have one night performances in between. Okay, mm-hmm. so things changed, and now it's a
0: producing house mm-hmm. exclusively, or just except for the musical
2: acts, bands that come in, everything else is produced in house. The, the opera house now is a, is a production is it now a production company and a venue? Okay, so all of the stage shows are produced by the opera house and the one night events in between are still brought in from different places from New York from Toronto from Chicago we have a bunch of different fun things
0: and where do you, where do you rehearse where do you store stuff where, where do you because the the venue itself doesn't have a lot of
2: storage space a block away in the West Main complex in the basement we still have a rehearsal space and a warehouse where we keep all of the sets and costumes and props
0: really but, but it's only a block away, which which is
2: that in itself is a luxury. It really is. <laughs> and uh, with with the economic development that's going on, a shout out to Glasso management. They're very happy to have us oh, uh, as part of the part of the community and and part of the revitalization of the <laughs> we're We're grateful for them for that space. I, I'm sure you are. So it's a luxury for you to be able to have that. Yes. but but once you become a producing house,
0: there's just so much that needs to be done rather than just sitting back and watch people carry stuff up three flights of stairs. Now you've got a whole other issue. So how was the decision made to become a producing house, to take on a much more
2: serious and much more extensive task? Well, it happened, when I became the artistic director, the board wanted a clearer vision and, and a... They wanted a singular focus? Yes. I became artistic director in 2009. It had just been after the the economic crash, so they were very concerned about maintaining a certain standard for theater so that they could rebuild a subscription audience. I see. So I decided that we needed to lead by example to brand what the Opera House was as as high-quality entertainment. So we decided to pick the season to start contracting the designers and the talent And that just led to wanting to control the whole season because my business model, the Opera House succeeds with what I call tentpole productions. Mm -hmm. So if we are doing like we did last season, Nun Sensations and Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, we know that those are going to be good sellers for us and for our audience. And that would allow us to do more experimental things in between. Mm -hmm. So I needed to be able to control the whole season in order to plan those out and make sure that all the finances would stay in place so when you when you made the decision to to do this
0: you also needed other personnel i mean mm-hmm. because again ordinarily you had a tech guy but that was the only guy here other people they brought in their own sets they brought in their own stuff so now you need set designers and costume designers and lighting designers and, and
2: just overall Where did that come from? Where did they come from? It's been, we've had a wonderful partnership. Our resident set designer is uh, David Dwyer uh, from Niagara University. Our resident lighting designer is Nick Quinn, who teaches at Buff State. So we were able to form wonderful partnerships there. And then like Nick, some of his students would then come and become the light board operators Uh and become part of the team. And uh, we've built it up. Yeah, The point I'm trying to make is you needed to build a
0: team. Yes. You needed to come up with something to, to that was more than you sitting behind a desk
2: and booking things. Right. Now you're in charge. Now, do you direct everything? Not everything. I direct sometimes. We brought in guest directors. Scott Barron has uh, directed some stuff for me. Fran is our Fran Landis is our resident music director, mm-hmm. and then she'll take on a project and direct. So it it rotates, but we're trying to put it all back together because obviously with COVID it's been COVID. two years off. But we're getting back into the swing of things.
0: So if you were to describe your programming philosophy now, you already said that. Well, well, describe it for me. What would what is it when you plan a season now? Because now you have to plan not just titles and (laughs) things like that now you have to also produce
2: those titles yes
0: so what's your philosophy behind your the way you build a season now
2: the the way i build a season is i want to stay true to our subscriber base and the tradition of the opera house Mm -hmm. so I'm maybe more inclined than some other theaters to do more traditional canon material mm-hmm. but just like we did last season with Joseph we did a very different twist on the show I cast it in a different way set it in a different setting mm-hmm. we're going to do similar things like that for this season we're going to open with Man of La Mancha but we're going to put a very contemporary twist on that mm-hmm. then we will do Sound of Music for Christmas time but then I did something, my parents happened to live down in Florida. So this past season, I just went down there and went to see everything on the coast of Florida, <laughs> Oslo Rep and Florida Repertory Theater. And just, I sucked it all in. Right. And at Oslo Rep, they were showing a brand new comedy called Grand Horizons. And it had opened in New York right before COVID, but got shut down. So and it kind of back. fell through the cracks. Yeah. And I saw it down there, and I said, this is hilarious. It was like a classic uh, Neil Simon comedy about a retired couple in Florida who are uh, at their wits' end, and the family comes to try to rescue them. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is perfect. It's a brand-new play, but it'll stay connected to what my uh, my audience, I know, would come to expect at the Opera House.
0: So in a way, you're saying... <laughs> <laughs> something
2: old, something new, something modern. Yeah, well, yeah. That,
0: that's it. You, yeah. you want to do some things that are... You know, back in the old days when I was in Hamburg Little Theater, we, we did three shows a year, and we, we always do two shows for the audience and one for us. And so you're doing the sort of the same thing. You're mm-hmm. doing two or three or, or four, whatever, to to maintain your audience space, mm-hmm. but you're also challenging them with something different and maybe something new, something that's not, as you said, from the canon, something that you just right. happened to catch down in Florida, and that's what you were is that what you f- sort of focus on every year or in the back of your mind that's what you're thinking?
2: Well, we – our first season as the sole producer in the Opera House mm-hmm. was the year before COVID. Oh, jeez. Okay. So we
0: – I didn't realize that. I, 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 was, I haven't
2: had a lot of practice. <laughs> uh, I haven't – You've done pretty well, David. You don't have to make excuses. You've I You've done pretty darn well. I mean that's not that, – that's not totally true because we used to produce about five shows within the season. Mm-hmm. But but things have changed, so it just doesn't seem feasible with so many different theaters now in Buffalo to have 12 different productions every year. Mm-hmm. So we've we've picked a solid season of six productions, which is still, by any standard, a huge season. It sure is. But now we can focus on the quality and the design and put the energy into each production. Mm-hmm. And it gives me time now in between to help connect with the community and promote the shows. We've got some wonderful things happening with the new businesses in the village. There are going to be sipping shops that are going to be themed to the different shows that happen oh, here. Nice. So you'll be able to come and down and see what's happening in the village. Like for Man of La Mancha, there'll be a romantic night in Spain, where you will be able to to go to the <laughs> different shops, have some sangria and ch- and uh, chorizo, and and have some fun, and then come see the show at the opera house. So it's uh, it's become a whole destination if you haven't if you haven't been to lancaster now mm-hmm. you can come and enjoy it well which brings up the question that how
0: and again not counting covid because we we can't how has the support been from lancaster because you're as i said to you before you're you're far enough away from buffalo where you can sort of become your own entity and your destin become a destination for this huge population that is growing around you much like the lockport palace sure. which is far enough away that they get tremendous and they have a similar situation where they're producing everything on their own as well now so how has your support been from the people from the lancaster community
2: the the support has been wonderful we, we reopened in october with the rocky horror show mm-hmm. and it, it, we are back to, to selling out almost every night. Oh, that's terrible. We did two midnight shows. <laughs> and I joke Only I said, two? We did I, <laughs> two midnight shows. But, but the big joke was, who would have thought on a Friday night at midnight, the coolest place to be would be Lancaster, Manchester, New York. Rough, rough. <laughs> <laughs> but we get our audience from Orchard Park and from Clarence and a ton of people come in from Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And before COVID, and I hope it comes back, we actually had a pretty significant audience come in from Canada. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. I, I didn't, didn't, never would have thought that. But I, could. I had to upgrade our ticketing system because the old ticketing system didn't, uh, didn't keep track of Canadian postal codes. No kidding. <laughs> so well, developing all that technology, yeah. and this season we went ticketless, which was kind of interesting because we had guest lists at all of the doors, mm. and it really helped me. I, I did a lot of front of house schmoozing, schmoozing. Yeah. and it was great to, to see names with faces oh, that's and cool. reconnect with our audience and donors. And uh, a big shout out to uh, Tim and Linda Richter. They donated money for a hearing system, so we're now more even more accessible for our older patrons. Oh, They're very grateful to uh, get that set up for us, and uh, it, it's been great.
0: Do you see any changes in programming in your future is there is there something you aspire to or that you you'd like to see happen down there or, or let me ask you this first still doing concerts in between uh, yes uh, we, see, we will be so
2: we will be bringing bands back for the, the the 2022 23 season okay we will be doing bands in between we have an interesting event planned in October it's the 100th anniversary of Nosferatu mm. so there's a gentleman in New York City who has come up with it's sort of interesting to describe it's sort of like a pneumatic orchestra that looks like it plays by itself okay. so it's very terrifying <laughs> to see this creepy orchestra playing this vampire movie but we'll be hosting them uh, in october so very it'll, be, cool. it'll be great very cool. so anyway now now my other question is so do you have other
0: aspirations for future programming that things you'd like to do or things you'd like to change or things you'd
2: like to I don't know. Make more of your own. We've always been growing. Uh, we we we've brought in guest artists from New York and from Chicago, and it's it's our mission to pair to pair people that have tons of pro experience with people coming out of college, where it might be their first professional gig, and put them together. Mm-hmm. the The biggest step we did make is now we are a completely professional theater. All the all the actors and musicians are on payroll. And are you still a one man show behind the scenes? I have a wonderful team. Fran Landis is my administrative assistant. Mm-hmm. Johnny Landis, her son, is our box office manager and he also helps run sound and Jay Wallen is also on our staff. He does our website and does graphics for us. So we we we've got we've got a small team and then of course our design our resident designers so I've got a strong team, and we're going to keep adding to it as we get bigger. But artistically, you're, you're by yourself in that office. Pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, Fran and I are up in the office yeah. together. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, last question. What's in the future for the Opera House in general, beyond programming? Anything that you want or can talk about at this point?
2: We, we made some upgrades. We've got a new projector for some projected scenery that we're going to try out. We've got, like I said, the, the hearing system. I think there are things that I can't announce them yet. Okay. So. Oh, that's right. That's what I was getting at. Yes. you did Sorry. say
0: some things to me before, and I, you know, that I won't, I won't put in there. But I didn't know if there was anything that is on the on the front burner, ready to go as soon as uh,
2: you know the next season's over. You're going to start working on new ceiling tiles, or something. I, I don't know. Are, our biggest, our biggest, our biggest thing is replacing the air conditioning system yeah. so that it stays nice and comfortable for here. Beyond that, it's all you can say. It's all I can say at the yeah. moment. But like, every- but yes, but well, I, can, I mean, I can tease it. You know, the, there's a lot of economic development in Lancaster and a whole new village, and and it. We we want to grow the Opera House to be part of, to be an integral part of this village. And, and like every. Theater director, you have dreams, yep, uh, uh, down the road, but that you can't really talk about because yep. you. We had we had a bunch of we. Let me put it this way: we had a bunch of projects that we were that we were starting to plan and and in the initial planning stages. COVID put a little uh, put a little stop to that. Yeah, but we're gonna get we're gonna get them back off the ground. Okay,
0: you know this whole history thing for me has been a labor of love. I've just I'm, as you get older, you start thinking more and more about history and and leaving something
2: behind. And that was the whole thing. I have every brochure from the beginning. Do you really? Every brochure said that. Every season brochure back to the back to the first one. Wow.
0: You know what I didn't ask you, is there anything still here? Because I noticed I went backstage and took a couple pictures there. You finally got rid of the old gas uh, yes. uh, uh,
2: valves that were there. We just, just needed to have a little more space. We needed some space. The um, A friend of mine who works at Moog is going to re- is going to put them together and then donate it to the Historical oh. Society. Oh, that would be nice. Yeah. yeah. So I can tell you who the first people were. Holy cow. Here it is.
0: The gin game. That was was That
2: was, that was you guys? Yeah, there
0: yeah, it, it is. Drama to go. Directed by Dottie Stoll with Dolores Mandolia. And-
2: wow, see Fran remembers Ron from Ken West, I mean, oh God, brilliant, um, brilliant actor. And what year is this? It, it, Fall of 81. '81. There's one before it. I think this is it. Now Queens players, Amherst players,
0: Gems, Johnny Lane. Oh Summers. yeah, yeah, John Summers, right? I
2: think this is. What year is what year is this? This
0: is on the front.
2: 82. Oh, where's 80? <laughs> or, or maybe 80 was just the, maybe this is it. I think maybe in fall of 80, they had like the one night, because I don't think this has they like probably, uh, They
0: probably it. had some kind of a, a gala. Yeah, you know,
2: a gala opening.
0: A, gala opening with champagne and some guy juggling <laughs>
2: <laughs> or something like that. But uh, that's, I was going to look to see who the, I can't. I can't remember. I could have been more articulate. I used to know the history of the executive directors. There was, there was one, two, Tom, Christian Gregory, Dave Fillenworth, so, and then me. Oh, they did have a film series, look at that. Oh, the, really? Right. Where did they shoot, the, where where, where was the projector? They probably put it, there's a little ledge hanging off the balcony. Mm.
0: Not, uh, up, not up in the center of the balcony? Like
2: right, yep. uh, uh, I mean. Like right just below the railing. I see. Comrade of singers and a chamber orchestra. Big Band, Dixieland Band. Look at all these special events. Pete Hankinson, Ramblin' Lou, Sweet Adelaide's Glee Club. Oh, Phantom of the Opera starring Lon Chaney. Everything old is new again. (laughs) David Bondro, this has been great.
0: a funnel cake. I'm waiting for deep fried sour cream, which I'm surprised they don't have that yet. Oh, never mind. The terrific Lancaster Opera House. And you know what I realized late in the conversation was that we never talked about their famously raked stage. Now, if you don't know what a raked stage is, it means that it's angled, it's tipped toward the audience. The audience is flat on the floor but the stage itself is actually tilted. It's like, I don't know, an inch every three feet or so, so that the back of the stage is actually visible from the floor because it's tipped up and angled, which is fun when you're walking on it as, a, as an actor, but it is hell for a stage builder, for a set builder and a set designer who, if you know anything about construction, keeping things level is critical. So that means if you have a wall starting at the back of the stage and it comes all the way down about 10, 12 feet, by the time you get to the front of the stage, in order to keep that wall level, you've got to lift up the lower end of it four, three or four inches. So the Opera House presents a challenge and a fun challenge for both actors and designers and builders. Anyway, my thanks to David Bondro and before him, Pete Johnson with the new program, over there at RLTP, called the Bridge Program. Go to the website, find out more about it. And if you know a young person of color who you think might be interested, please direct them to roadlesstraveledproductions.org and let them check it out. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with our final historic theater here in Western New York. So until then, this is RLTP's Off Road with me, Pete Pomisano.